Hey, what's going on, uh, PC3? My name is Nate, and it is a privilege to be here with you as we continue our series on the Song of Songs, right? This ancient love song that um, showcases the, the love of these two lovebirds. And for those who've missed the series or missed the last two sermons, just know that the Song of Songs isn't just like a movie where there's a defined beginning, a middle, and an end, but it's a compilation of, of the best scenes of the movie, and so that's what we're going to start out with looking at one of our short films or one of the best scenes of the movie. And I've, I've broken it out into two parts. And so the first, we're going to see the spectacular arrival of our groom marching into the city with his bride on their day of their wedding. And part two, our bride and our groom are going to come together. They're going to unite as one. And we're going to see that in the form of a marital sex in the bedroom in a poetic form. And so let's jump right in. We have a lot to cover. And we're going to start in chapter 3, starting at verse 6. And we're going to witness this grand entrance into the wedding party. The text will be on the screen in the NIV. Verse 6. Who is this coming from the wilderness? Like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made with all the spices of a merchant. Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. All of them wearing sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver, its base of gold, its seat was upholstered with purple and its interior inlaid with love. So can you imagine this scene? Right? Imagine Song of Solomon introducing the King Saul and this mighty entrance of this royal couple. Right? Columns of smoke. We have scented aromas filling the air. And then there's warriors surrounding this carriage, protecting it. And our man Solomon rides up in what we call probably an ancient Escalade, right? A stretch limousine of his day, sparing no expense, right? Can you imagine this, right? Some of you think about pulling up on that on your prom day a couple of years ago, right? The gold and the purple and the silver it would have been a, a, a mighty feat, right? There's 60 mighty men by their side marching, protecting his bride, willing to die in order to protect her, right? This invokes strength, strength and security and protection. And so for me, I actually had a similar experience, though less profound, right? I'm not Solomon, but I was in the United States Marine Corps for 11 years, and me and my wife had an actual Marine wedding. So can we bring up the photo? Yeah, she's... <laughs> Right, Solomon is this powerful man, and he uses his power to protect his bride, to show her that no anxiety, no fear, no, no worry of darkness, I'm there to protect you. And those Marines in, those, in that picture, with their swords, is representing the same. Is, is, representing, is symbolizing my commitment and protection to my wife, to my bride. It symbolizes that I would go to war for her. 
regardless of the darkness or any pain or anxiety, that I was going to be there to protect and to provide for her. Where all that I am belongs to her. And so do you see in this passage, this is what Solomon is saying to his bride. Right? This is what Solomon is saying with his actions. That all that I have, my warriors, my carriage, my wealth, everything is for you, my love. Right? This is a powerful statement of oneness and unity that is exemplified by these two lovebirds. And so whatever your power is, as you think through potential marriage, whatever your resources or your strengths, whatever you have to bring to the marriage, use it. Use it to serve your spouse, to provide for them, to protect them. And you might call me old-fashioned, but men, right, my call for you is to lead in that area. Right? You protect and provide for your future spouse. And the question that every man should ask is, am I willing and am I, am I able to provide for my future bride? Right, before you get married, if the answer is no, then probably you shouldn't get married. Gentlemen, we have to do better. And if, if you think that maybe I'm being too harsh on our men, well, you're right. Right, because we live in a society full of boys that want the relationship. Right? They want this love before the commitment. Gentlemen, we have to do better. If you're dating a young lady, the process begins now. Right? The process from being a boy who's concerned about his own desires and what he wants needs to change into a man whose desires are for others. His concerns are for others. Because when you are married, young men, it is your job to protect and provide for your wife. Right? It's your job to protect and provide for her physically, mentally, emotionally, and most important, spiritually. To our ladies, right? what's my call for you in this section? Well, I think it depends on the type of husband you want to marry. Right? Do you want a boy? Or do you want a man? Right? That is a question that you must ask before you get married. Right? Do you want a man that's going to lead your family spiritually, to provide, to protect for you and your future family? Right? That is a question that must be answered before marriage. And ladies, no one's perfect, so please don't misunderstand me. Right, me or any of these guys in this room or someone you're, you're dating, there's no way that we can provide the wealth that Solomon provides, and we can't provide you 60 men. Right? I had eight for my wife. That's all I could afford. But know that, that a man who's willing to commit himself the very best, whether he's a carpenter or an electrician or someone in ministry or a grocery store manager, Right, if he's willing and able to provide his very best, that's a good man. Do not take anything less for my women. Right, it, it can be easy to be tempted to get married. Right? A lot of you are experiencing a lot of weddings. Right? People are getting engaged, and that could be a temptation 
to settle for a man that is ungodly and that isn't holy and that's not ready for commitment. Take nothing less. Seek a godly man who is mature, who makes you feel safe and secure. And so our wedding party arrives, and let's see what our maiden responds. Let's see what she responds to when they enter into the city. Starting in verse 10, Bravo, 10b. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look, you daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. On the day of their wedding, our maiden, our, our beloved woman, expresses how proud she is of her husband. Right? She respects and honors him. She recognizes his strength and his authority, and she's not threatened by it. Right? She's screaming out, this is a celebration, right? Come, ladies of Zion, look at the king. And by the way, that's my man, is what she's saying. Ladies, the maiden gave him honor and love out of response for his commitment to her. His commitment to protecting her. And I know that the conversation of men and women in our roles in society can be confrontational, right? Some fights can kind of start from there. But let me say this, that the way in general that women want to feel just safe and secure from their man, right? In that same way, men just wants to know that their woman has their back, right? That, that she's going to be in her, his corner. That when he messes up, which he will that she'll be there to build him up, and she won't tear him down, that she's got his back. Ladies, if you get married, you're still going to have love for your, 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 your family, your best friends, your parents. But when you mar- get married to your spouse, your husband, you become one, and he becomes your best friend. Right? He becomes the one that you make life decisions with. You become one with your spouse. And if he's committed to being the very best that he can be, that that he provides you the best of himself, be the queen to the king. Be there as his helper and his partner as he tries to lead your family spiritually. I got one more thing on this part before we move on. For, For those who are in the process of their wedding. My question to you, are you, are you going into that full of joy and thinking of it as a celebration? Right? Are, you going, are you heading towards your wedding day full of joy and considering it a celebration? Because I believe that the king rejoices, one, because they were united. They were, they, they were um, a team. They... We're looking forward to that day. It was unadulterated. It was pure. But I also think that the king's heart rejoiced because there's others in the celebration. Right? Others were invited to celebrate their love for one another. And so my encouragement for you who are getting married, invite others in. Right? Invite fellowship and brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to uplift and uphold 
your, your marriage, your vow to one another. Right? Invite in others to provide accountability. Right? Surround yourself with a support system that wants to aid your union and not tear it down. And if you're a friend or a bestie of someone getting married, right, realize that your bestie's life is just going to change. And that's okay, that their husband or their spouse is now their best friend. And so I would encourage you as friends to respect that space and to uplift them together. Marriage is truly a beautiful union, and I believe God celebrates it greatly, and he calls us in to celebrate with each other. And just like any other wedding, there's going to be a transition from this, this public celebration of their love to a private expression of it. Right next, we're going to be ushered into the honeymoon suite on the night of the wedding of our beloved man and woman. We enter into this intimate moment between a husband and a wife. But before I move on, I know that sex can be a difficult topic to talk about, and especially for those who have experienced hurt and pain. It can be challenging. But I want you to know that if that's you, that God sees you, that, that God feels and understands your pain, and, and God wants to restore and provide healing. God sees you. And maybe you thought you would get married and that journey just fell apart. Or perhaps you did partake in sexual intimacy before your marriage. You haven't been married and there might be wounds or scars there. Or perhaps you're like me who thought that I would find ultimate fulfillment in the loneliness that I experienced through sex. But regardless of what that pain may be, my encouragement would be for you tonight to confine in a close friend right, or a leader and share that hurt. Bring it to the light and allow the Spirit of God to restore and to provide healing. As we move on, we're going to see this poetic description of our two lovers consummating their marriage, and it starts with the husband pursuing his wife. Chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful are you, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hill of Gilead. Your teeth are like flocks of sheep just shorn coming from the wash. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet ribbons. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. And on it hang a thousand shields. All of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. So what do you think, guys? You think she's hot? You think she's attractive? 
Can we bring up the slide? So if we took it literally, this is what she'd look like. You guys are wrong. You guys are wrong for that. Right? Men, my word, a word of advice, right? Do not, under any circumstance, ever tell your, your wife or the woman you love that her hair is like a sheep, a herd of goats, right? Or she has a long, bumpy neck, right? I promise you it will not go well, right? This is poetic language. Different culture, different context. Her hair being like goats is, is likely... He's trying to express, right, it's thick and it's wavy like it's going down a hill. Her teeth, like sheep, just uh, shorn or cut, signifying that they're well-maintained. She has all her teeth. She might have rosy cheeks and her upright neck is um, just a good posture, right? That's the poetic language. (laughs) You guys are making me laugh. (laughs) Right, he describes the the girl parts of her body... But he leaves nothing untouched with his words, but he's using it to uplift her. That's the point of this. On the commentary of this song, the commentary says that though it's vivid imagery, that that he means to go actually deeper than just her physical appearance. Specifically pertaining to her neck and her breasts, um, Dr. Corman says that, that the neck Presents, represents this strong foundation, that this woman keeps her head up even when times get hard. And then their chests are like deer who are skittish, and they represent in that culture this, this modesty that she has. And so our lover, our male, is praising his bride-to-be for her modesty. And it's likely not a good thing, though, when we think about it, like when we're in the courtship period, when we marry someone, right, we should be attracted to our spouse. Right? It's important to be attracted to the one that we're going to spend the rest of our life with. But here's the deal with that. Right? The devil wants you to just look on outside appearances, to focus only on that, that that is true attraction instead of focus on the attraction of being emotionally tied to someone, the attraction of spiritually finding someone attraction. So if you are looking for a spouse and you're only looking at the physical, my advice comes from David Marvin is to pray to God to make, your, make you attracted to what they are attracted to. Right? To ask them, to ask God to make you attracted not to a man or a woman with perfect hair or perfect teeth, but to be attracted to the one who is holy and who's chasing after God. And as you work through that, you'll come to find that person that you are wholly attracted to become beautiful in every way. We have our maiden and her beloved in the chamber, and he's pouring out his love for his wife. 
Right? He's expressing joy not only with her beauty and her appearance, but her holiness and her character. And catch this, men. Before he ever touches her with his hands, he touches her with his words. Right? Before he ever touches his bride with his hands, he touches her with, her, with his words. He is preparing, in a sense, for their first act of, as a married couple. Right? Now it's time for them to become one flesh. And as far as using your words to touch the ones you love, I can be honest in this area. I've struggled with this, and I have to constantly remind myself to tell my wife how beautiful she is. Right? Not only her physical appearance, but her character and her spirit and her love for other people. Her love for hosting and bringing people into our homes and how God has made her and how she has shaped my spiritual walk. Right? It's important for spouses who share affection with each other. And so men, we don't only provide for our wives physically, we provide for her, we protect her with our words. And the same is true for wives to husbands. Right, the first two chapters of this song, we see our bride, she's longing for her, her man. Right? She wants to be with him, and she shares this affectionate with him that you're my guy and only you. It's important to use our words to build up our spouse, to, to let them know that we love them, and to be intimate in that way. It's a beautiful thing when spouse shares affection for each other, and it's something that Husbands and wives must engage in. And so let's press forward as we see the affection continue. We're going to look in verse 6. But I want you to notice that it goes even deeper than physical. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountains of Mir and to the hills of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the tops of Senor, to the summits of Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful. Is your love my sister, my bride? How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice? So with the wedding guest gone and the evening is here, our beloved man is excited, right? He's enthralled to be with his beloved woman, right? He says, you are beautiful without flaw or without blemish. And this is the same word that we see in other places in Scripture when God, does, when God describes a perfect lamb, unblemished, acceptable, holy, affirmed by God. Again, Solomon speaks to her character and how her real character, her real beauty is found in being a godly woman. And did you notice in verse 8, it's the first time he actually calls her his bride, Right? And this continues throughout, signifying that their engagement is over. 
They've committed to themselves to each other, and now they're coming together as one. They're going to seal that commitment through the act of sexual intimacy. And one of the most beautiful verses to me in this entire chapter is verse 10. Right? How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. Right? Solomon's not talking about incest here. He's speaking about a deep unity. He's saying that this unity in marriage before God brings a closeness that cannot be broken. And of this verse, Charles Spurgeon wrote, as if he, Solomon, could not express his near and dear relationship to her by any one term, he employs the two, my sister in communion, my spouse in absolute union. For the Christian, right, this is a wonderful thing, right? a beautiful thing to see your spouse as co-heirs in the kingdom of God, right? as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so my encouragement, when you're dating, date a man of God, date a woman of God. And when you get married, marry a woman of God, marry a man of God. Let's continue verse 11. It's going to get spicy. Verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey, honey under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments are like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You, you are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, with nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense, incense tree, with myrrh and alloy, with all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. I don't know if you catch it, but it's getting physical. Right, Solomon goes into this description of the sweetness of her kiss. Right? This might be our first French kiss in history. I don't know, but th this whole scene is intimate. Right? There, there's these smells and these sights and these tastes, kind of like an opening of a Taylor Swift song. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't land, no? Right? It's beautiful and poetic form describing two lovers now giving themselves to each other. And in verse 12, just to be blunt, right, our, our man, he's praising her virginity. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. That her sexuality hasn't been given to another. It was like an enclosed garden, a protected spring, a fountain that has been sealed. Right? All metaphors of value in her sexuality. And in our culture, if we're honest, right, purity is not, not valued. Right? From the moment that I can remember, I've been bombarded with sexual images and temptations and encouraged to explore relations with others. And for me, in my community, I was taught, you're weak. If you're not chasing after a girl for her body and what she can offer you. And one of the greatest, craziest game plans of Satan 
is that he flips this upside down. And, right? He flips upside down song of song and what love is meant to be, and he promotes destructive behavior and discourages, right? makes fun of anything that is pure and that is holy. Right? Sex is good, and God celebrates this. But an analogy that I once heard was that, that sex is like fire, right? When it's contained in a fireplace, it's cozy, it's warm, it's, it's good. But when it comes out of of that confinement, when it's outside of the fireplace, it's going to burn your house down. PC3, God celebrates sexual and romantic love, but he only celebrates it in the confines of a divine, ordained marriage, where God celebrates sexual love, but he only celebrates it within marriage. Verse 16, we're going to see the response of the bride. Awaken, north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden and its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Scripture says that when you become married, when you join with your spouse, that a husband, your body does not belong to you anymore. It belongs to your bride. And, and a wife, your body no longer belongs to you, but it belongs to your husband. Right? And this is very countercultural in the day that we live And our love scene reaches its peak moment where we see and the woman's garden has been unlocked. And now she says it is his garden to come into and enjoy the the choice fruits. Their union is now completed and they've become one flesh. The garden in Hebrew thinking is this thought, this idea of purity and holy is 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 the sacred space and in that culture a woman's sexuality is something to be holy right men your sexuality is something to be holy and as i as i wrestled with this text this week the thoughts of those of you who perhaps have unyielded your garden came to my mind And I can only assume that guilt, shame, and condemnation might be sinking in. I know that's how it was for me. But you know what? Our our God is a God who can heal. Right? We, We serve a God who can restore and who cleanses and who sanctifies. And I'd be lying to you if I told you that I remain pure. That I didn't have sex before marriage. Even after I became a Christian, I became convicted later in my walk with the Lord. I remember writing some of those women and apologizing to them for partaking, for taking away their holiness and asking for them to forgive me. 
And through that and through believing in God as, as the Redeemer who has cleansed us, cleansed us of our sin, I came to this newness. And for those of you who have yielded your garden, boy, men, girls, right, there is newness that we can find in our God. And if you feel those feelings of condemnation, that you can never experience what our two lovers experience, do not believe that lie. Do not believe that lie. Today, you can commit yourself to purity. Right? You can commit yourself to protecting the purity of your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Right? You have a choice, and God is inviting you into that holiness and committing yourself to saving this love that Solomon has for his wife, this love that the, the woman has for her husband for their marriage night. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And in verse 8 of that same chapter, But God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. PC3, God loves you. And if you are son and daughter of the Most High, your father loves you. And get this, your father is the best father of all fathers. And you can come to your father and say, Dad, I messed up. Dad, I need your help. Right? He is a father that protects and he provides for us. And if you're a son and daughter and if you yielded that part of you in Christ, there can be healing. There can be restoration. And so as we close the Song of Songs, this is this amazing artwork full of wisdom and a lot of people throughout history come to see this as just an allegory, right? Hidden meanings. And I believe that our two lovers are real people with real emotion and real desires and real passion for one another. Yet, I believe that this points to a beautiful picture of Christ and his love for his church. I see this song of songs as an eternal love song of God and his royal power riding in, full of joy, longing to be with his bride. And God presents us his very best. He presents us his very best in his son, Jesus Christ. So let us be a people like our bride who rejoice in our king, who, who shouts to the world, right? Come and celebrate. Join this royal family, and if our hearts are metaphorically this garden that has been unlocked, let us allow the Spirit to come into our hearts, to cultivate, to stir, so that we can find growth and new life. And so with that, let me pray.